Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back to the Tom Hartman Program. In my uh, rant today, uh, the the title over at uh, HartmanReport.com is Trump Salted the Earth, and I put that in quotes, against Biden to get chaos, revenge, and profit. And I know that this is a, a partial list, but I think it's worth revisiting and amplifying because this is a strategy, for lack of a better word. I mean, let's start off with salt the earth. This, is, this was in a CNN report about a week after the election or a couple weeks after the election. It was back in November of last year. And the authors of the report on CNN said, some observers pointing to Trump's rush to pull troops out of Afghanistan over unanimous objections from the military's most senior leaders, as well as NATO commanders, question whether the president and his officials are trying to salt the earth for Biden. Salt the earth? Well, most people have never heard of Abimelech, but, you know, outside of people who are like, you know, very carefully read the book of Judges back in the day or, you know, our yeshiva or, or biblical students. Uh, but Abimelech was the son of, of Gideon. You know, the guy that, <laughs> after whom all those Bibles are in the hotels all over the place. Uh, Gideon was one of the kings of Israel. Abimelech was uh, one of his sons. He, he uh, stole all the wealth of the other sons and then killed them. He was sort of that generation's uh, Donald Trump in a way. And uh, they seized this town, this town called Shechem. Um, it's near... It's, it's, in the, it's on the road between Jerusalem and, and Nazareth, uh, you know, going north of Jerusalem. Uh, maybe uh, an hour's uh, uh, horse ride or, or whatever north of Jerusalem. He sees this town, and uh, as it says in Judges 9.45, Abimelech fought against the city all that day, and he took the city and slew the people that was therein and beat down the city and sowed it with salt. Now, what that's referring to, and this isn't the only historical reference to sowing fields with salt, but it's one of the more well-known ones. What they're referring to is that after you've defeated a people, if you want to uh, just absolutely and utterly destroy them, you pour salt on their fields and nothing can grow there for, in some cases, 100 years or longer. You know, how long it takes for the rain to eventually wash the salt out because salt is toxic to uh, plants. So it, it kills the ability to grow crops, it kills the ability to grow trees, it kills, it'll, kill, it'll kill the trees. It, you can't even grow grass on salted soil. And that's what Donald Trump tried to do to Joe Biden. He, after it became obvious that he had lost the election he, he has ordered the Taliban, or he has ordered, excuse me, Pakistan to release from prison the former co-founder of the Taliban, who is now the leader of the Taliban inside Afghanistan, to release this guy, along with 5,000 of the most vicious of the fighters that they had, who many of whom now have joined ISIS, apparently, 
and you know this ISIS-K, which is now taking on the, the Taliban government in Afghanistan. This is going to be the next big battle in Afghanistan. It's not going to be between the Taliban and us. It's going to be between the Taliban and ISIS, and it's going to be ugly. So Trump orders these guys released. He cuts out the government, the Ghani government, Ashraf Ghani was the, the uh, democratically elected president of Afghanistan. He cuts him out of the loop, says, sorry, I'm going to negotiate this as president of the United States directly with the Taliban, a group that didn't even have a country. I'm going to negotiate with them. You know, we let their leader out of prison. I'm going to negotiate with them to hell with what the government in, in uh, Afghanistan wants or thinks. And then his advisors came back to him, uh, you know, specifically Mark Esper, his Secretary of Defense, came back to him and said, don't do that. In fact, Esper, you know, later uh, uh, talked about it. He said, my concern was that President Trump, by continuing to want to withdraw American forces out of Afghanistan, undermined the agreement which is why I objected and formally wrote a letter to him, a memo based on recommendations from the military chain of command and my senior civilian leadership, that we not go further, that we not reduce below 4,500 troops unless and until conditions were met by the Taliban. Otherwise, we'd see a number of things play out which are unfolding right now. This is what Mark Esper said like two weeks ago. But he was Trump's Secretary of Defense. And he said, you know, if you're going to give this country to the Taliban, Get something in exchange for it, like, you know, they're going to protect our people or they're going to uh, allow girls to go to school or something. But Trump was like, no, no, no. I lost the election. Joe Biden is going to come in. We want to hand him hell on a platter. And he did. He salted the earth of Afghanistan, metaphorically. Same thing with the, with the uh, COVID vaccines. Donald Trump put his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, the son of convicted swindler, uh, Mr. Kushner, I forget his first name, Jared's dad, the one who uh, uh, ensnared his, Jared's uncle, his brother, his dad's brother, by sending a hooker over to his house so that he could videotape that and send pictures to his wife. I mean, this is just a weird family. And Jared Kushner, you know, when, he, when his dad got out of jail, his advice to Jared was buy a newspaper, buy a big, high-profile, fancy, important building so people will take you seriously in Manhattan, and marry a very rich woman. And Jared Kushner did all three. He bought a newspaper. It's called the New York Observer. It's an obscure little New York newspaper. He bought, he paid, uh, you know, $1.1 billion for about an $800 million building, 666 Fifth Avenue, an old office building that is now way past its prime. And he married Ivanka Trump. Trifecta. So what was happening was he bought that building on credit. And the banks were saying, you know, that loan has now expired. You owe us a billion dollars. So Jared goes over to the Middle East and says to the Saudis and the Emiratis, the UAE, you know, help me out here. I need, and, and, the, and the Qataris, I need some money. I need a billion dollars. And the Saudis and the UAE, they say, well, get it from Qatar. They're American allies. You got a big military base there. And the, and, the, and the folks in Qatar say, we're not going to give Jared Kushner a billion dollars. Are you crazy? And so the Saudis and the UAE, you know, do this embargo. They cut off the supply lines, the food supply lines to Qatar. Qatar's this little peninsula, you know, sticking out into the Arabian Sea that's, a, you know, attached essentially to Saudi Arabia and the UAE. And they, 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 they barricaded them. Until finally, Cutter said, okay, okay, we'll give Jared the billion dollars. And they did. Or at least an investment company that they're heavily investment, invested in did. So back to my story. Jared was put in charge of the vaccine distribution, right? The whole Operation Warp Speed thing. But Jared was busy trying to work out the final deals of this billion dollar deal 
to, to bail him out of this failing building in New York City and the rest of his landlord business. He owns a bunch of low-income housing. He's a slumlord. And so Jared never made any plans to distribute the vaccine. This is a vaccine that requires dry ice. Right? It's got to be kept 80 degrees below zero. That was the Pfizer. The, and the, the other one, uh, the, the Moderna, has to be kept at, uh, you know, at near freezing temperature, below freezing temperatures, below 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So, you know, logistically, it's going to be complicated. How do, you, how do you stage and how do you distribute these vaccines to millions of Americans? And so when Biden wins the election, he reaches out to the transition people in the White House and says, OK, what's going on with Afghanistan? And what's going on with the vaccines? And Trump and Kushner and everybody in the Trump administration said, screw you, we're not going to tell you a thing. And it wasn't until January 20th, the day that Joe Biden was sworn into office and walked over to the White House to discover the door was locked. It wasn't until January 20th that the Biden administration discovered how bad they had been screwed, how, how, the, how the earth had been salted. Politico wrote a piece about this on Inauguration Day, January 20th. Quote, the Pentagon blocked members of President Joe Biden's incoming administration from gaining access to critical information about current operations, including the troop drawdown in Afghanistan and the COVID-19 vaccine distribution program. And when Mark Esper, Trump's Secretary of Defense, said, hey, you're giving... Afghanistan to the Taliban and you're getting nothing in return and you're doing it in a way that's going to hurt American interests. Trump fired him and replaced him with Chris Miller. Chris Miller, who you may recall, is the guy who wrote the memo that said when he wrote this memo on January 4th, saying that on January 6th, there's going to be this big event at the uh, U.S. Capitol and uh, you may not, Washington, D.C. National Guard, you may not go and help the D.C. Capitol Police or the D.C. Metro Police. You may not. Chris Miller was the guy who repeatedly was receiving phone calls. He was the Secretary of Defense, repeatedly receiving phone calls from members of Congress, from the governor, the Republican, Larry Hogan, the Republican governor of Maryland, calling him, saying, can I send my National Guard if you won't let the D.C. National Guard go in? Miller, nope, can't do that. Until it was reported that Trump's stormtroopers had failed in their mission to hang Mike Pence, execute Nancy Pelosi, and, and hijack the Electoral College ballots. When, when the word came out that Pelosi and, and Pence were safe and the ballots were intact, that was the point at which finally the Secretary of Defense, Trump's handpicked guy, says, okay. And he's still salting the, salting the earth. With now with, you know, uh, promoting ivermectin and all these weird cures and, and just generally trashing Biden at every turn. When does this stop? Will it stop? This is the Tom Hartman Program. Is this the fate and future of America that we are constantly under attack from within our one of our two largest political parties? Rick in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Rick, what's up? Well, I'll tell you. One question I have for you, two points. One point is, whatever happened about the arresting the 52 Democrats here in Texas that were supposed to be arrested and the Supreme oh. Court, I believe, said oh, they were yeah. supposed to be arrested? Yeah. And I don't heard any more about it, but what can they possibly charge him with? Are they just trying to harass them? Or, yes. I mean, is this really possible or what? Yeah, to the best of my knowledge, they haven't been arrested. They did, uh, you know, a few of them came back. They were able to hold their session. They've passed the law. The governor, I think, is so, yeah. as far as I know, there's going to be no. It was a lot of sturm and drang, you know, a lot of uh, right. Right. talking right. history. Um, well, the second quick point is, I, luckily, I have a thing like Facebook, and I put on there because my local Edgar Book School District is not how the kids do not wear a mask. And I put on, yes, optional right now, but down the road, they need to be considered, considered about mask considering the high rate in places like Texas and Florida where nobody wears masks. And within one hour, I got like 50 responses against 
you know, well, how dare you kind of thing. Mm. Uh, you're forcing our kids, to, you're being mean to our kids, and if we don't have a match, it's going to kill them. Within one hour, I got 50 responses. Yeah, and I guarantee you a lot of those responses were not from local parents. Yes, well, that's very, very, there's, very there's a There's an absolute troll army out there that uh, do not represent parents. I, there are some concerned parents who are misguided or who are misinformed and who are very upset. And, you know, I, we have to acknowledge that. But there's also this, this just, you know, I, I don't know what to call it beyond that, this, this troll army out there. That, and frankly, I suspect that many of them are not even Americans. Yeah. Very good. Yep. I would certainly agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot, uh, Rick. Good to hear from you. Gary in Alpharetta, Georgia. Hey, Gary, what's up? Hello, Tom Hartman. Thank you. Hey, Gary. Green has no heart. You're just you north of where I used to live. We used to live in Roswell. You're just right up the road. I know you did. We talked, we talked about that. I know yeah. it's kind of ironic. Uh, so what's up? True. So, um, three things, if I beg. We have a minute. Is I can't. America is, and this is in the context of what you're saying, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. America is much, much more than greed, egos, and trying to be famous. And in my humble view, we must, we must, it's essential. We've got to move forward and turn back this challenge, challenge that you're talking about, that government is the problem. Government is the problem. Gover Guess what, folks? Government gave me Social Security. It gave me Medicare. It gave me good roads and bridges. There's still a lot about that. It gave me freedom, yeah. uh, a lot of my freedoms. So we must turn back this, and you have addressed it. I'm just maybe saying it a little differently. We must change this developing momentum towards government being the problem. Yeah. It's wrong. And we've got to stand up for it. Well, you know, yeah, they used the to teach kids. in school, when, when you and I were kids, Gary, they taught us that we, the people, created the government to provide for our needs, right? For liberty and justice for all and, and all that kind of stuff. And can I say one more thing? Quickly. Uh, quick. I sent you a cover thing, uh, email that greed that has no heart, America's core challenge. That's your, that's your new book I'm trying to get you to, to uh, write. Okay, I'll have to Ameri look for it. Gary, thank you for the call. It's even worse than what I just laid out. You know, I just I, I just laid out how Donald Trump is salting the earth, right? And and you know, against Biden to get chaos and revenge and profit. And uh, so far, he's uh, avoided the uh, the final fate of Abimelech, who, by the way, was brought down by a woman. Uh, Abimelech was, uh, you know, laying siege to a to a tower, and uh, this woman dropped a stone from the top and it hit him on the head. Uh, and uh, so that was the end of, Ab Ab of Abimelech. And, and Trump's got a long list of women who might bring him down. We'll see. I mean, who knows? Um, I'm not, you know, wishing any kind of physical violence on him, certainly, but, uh, you know, politically or illegally. Hmm. But how do we, how do we tra cope, not just with traitors like Donald Trump, but this movement that is happening within the Republican Party? We have, for example, uh, U.S. Representative Congressman Madison Cawthorn. He's a Republican from North Carolina, uh, a veteran. He's in a wheelchair. Uh, prior to that, he was accused of sexual assault and a whole bunch of other things. Um, he was, he has recently, uh, basically, you know, he was holding, after holding, I'll just read to you from this piece uh, over at rawstory.com. Um, the North Carolina Republican lawmaker was warned to stop campaigning across the country and start paying attention to his own constituents. On Sunday, the Washington Post reports, Cawthorn told his local Macon County Republican Party, quote, the, the, that elections in the United States are rigged and there will be bloodshed if the country's electoral system continues on its current path. Immediately after holding a shotgun, Cawthorn said, I'll tell you as much as I'm willing to defend our liberty at all costs, there is nothing I would dread more than having to pick up arms against, my fellow, uh, against a fellow American. And, that, and the way that we can have recourse is that if we all passionately demand that we have election security in all 50 states. Right. So and then he goes on to say, I will remove Joe Biden from office and then Kamala Harris, when she inevitably screws up, will take them down one at a time. 
And then he referred to the people who are in jail for January 6th as political prisoners and political hostages. Now, there are people who are calling, there are people who are calling for this guy to be expelled from Congress, along with a few of his buddies, right? Uh, Marjorie Trader Greene and, and uh, you know, Jim, Jim Jordan and others. How do, what do we do with politicians who are openly, you know, trashing our government and implicitly calling for violence? Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. First of all, Madison Cawthorn, I said, was a vet. I was wrong. I swear I saw an ad for him at one point in time that talked about military service. Apparently, uh, he, was, he was in a car accident, which is why he's in a wheelchair. And he tried to get it. But before his car accident, he tried to get into the Naval Academy, and they turned him down. Thank you to uh, numerous people on Twitter who have corrected me on that. Um, uh, if they did just five minutes of investigation, they would also note he was not accepted into the academy prior to the accident, just had daddy call in a favor for a letter of recommendation, writes Jen, the overly privileged woman. For example, you know, one of many. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, you know, I was wrong. And I, I want this show to be absolutely bulletproof, no pun intended. You know, if I say something, I want you to be able to take it to the bank. So thanks for, for that. Um, also, uh, somebody uh, tweeted to me this uh, story. This is from, from last month, uh, CNN Politics. The headline, Ted Cruz is blocking diplomats from being confirmed, and it has nothing to do with their qualifications. Six months after Biden's inauguration, just six State Department candidates have been confirmed on the Senate floor. Some 60 nominees are, have been awaiting confirmation for months. Now Ted Cruz has effectively stopped the Senate from voting on senior State Department nominees unless Democrats take the time-consuming steps needed to overcome a filibuster for each nomination, leaving around a dozen offices without confirmed leadership. Ted Cruz is salting the ground. These guys are all about sabotage. Sabotage the government. You know, it started out with the right-wing billionaires back in the day in the 70s and 80s, saying sabotage the government so that the government won't tax us anymore and so that the government won't regulate our businesses anymore. And then it became sabotage the government so the government can't protect labor unions anymore. And then it became sabotage the government so that the government can't, can't uh, prevent us from pouring you know, poisonous mining waste in, our, in the rivers and, and uh, you know, coal ash and, and uh, you know, poisonous fumes into the, into the, into the air. I mean, it's just, it's just like this nonstop, like, like the treason party or something. It's just, it's just breathtaking. Absolutely breathtaking. Jeremy in Indianapolis. Hey, Jeremy, what's on your mind today? 
Yeah. You were saying that yesterday you're wondering how long the Republicans could hold out. And you were also saying earlier that you think Ron DeSantis is just afraid of the base. And I don't think that he's just afraid of the base. I think that things have become so corrupt now that it's possible that these Republicans are actually afraid of, you know, ending up in prison because there's blackmail on them that could be exposed them or they could end up. Um, but why would that you know, prevent DeSantis from simply saying, you know, this new Delta variant is a whole lot more deadly than the original one. And so, you know, in the face of changing science, I'm going to change policy. Well, well, why? Why? Who would blackmail him not to do that? Somebody who wants to destroy the United States and bring us to our knees. So you think this is being driven by foreign oligarchs? The, the, Possibly. The, yeah. Yeah. You know, I can't yeah, like they, they got they got blackmail on them and they don't care. It's not, you know, I mean, DeSantis might have gotten into it. And other politicians might have gotten into it for whatever their reasons, you know, like political reasons. Maybe they want to make change. Maybe they believed in the, the message. Maybe they, you know, wanted to make money, whatever. But now, uh, it, you know, there was the hacks on the DNC and the RNC and the DNC stuff got released. The RNC stuff didn't. And I keep thinking about uh, there is a uh, I have a hard time saying the word documentary, but I don't know what else to call it. A while back ago, back ago called uh, Bohemian Grove. Have you heard of this? Yeah, well, I, I haven't seen the job. documentary, but I'm real familiar with the Bohemian Grove. A friend of mine's father used to be a member, and, and uh, Henry Kissinger drunkenly peed on his shoe once. Uh, you know, they sit I, in the woods out in California and, and have bizarre rituals, and it's basically a, a summer camp for rich and, rich and powerful people. Right, right. Well, I, I, I have this sense of, like, these organizations, like, uh, there's the Bohemian Grove, I don't know if you call it an organization, but, like, Freemasons, fraternities and things, they're really big on secrecy, secrecy, secrecy. And the, yeah. the draw is, like, you get a family, and uh, but we're going to teach you all these, like, super secrecy universe or like skull and bones God or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I, but what secrecy really do, it lets you uh, do things like, oh, what we're really doing in their Freemasons Lodge is watching strippers and sleeping with hookers. And then somebody gets in political office, and it's like, hey, remember that time you slept with that hooker or that underage girl? Hey, why don't you do oh, me a yeah. favor? Right. It's, it's, you know, it's possible. That, it's possible. You know? I'm not sure, though, that, you know, that explains why Ted Cruz is trying to block Biden administration from staffing the State Department during a time of international crises. I think that so that the goal is, is chaos. Exactly. That, that's where I was going with that. I think he's just trying to produce political chaos in the United States so that Biden will get blamed for it. So that when Ted Cruz runs for president in 2024, and you know he's going to do that, um, yeah. he, he will have a chance to take down Joe Biden if he can get the nomination. They, they, this is what they're all they're, about. They're killing their own constituents with, and, and having yes. them take things like ivermectin, which is also deadly and such. And, and their constitu constituents aren't going to be able to vote. They're not trying to get votes anymore. They're not trying to win on policy anymore. They're trying to create enough chaos to bring us to our knees so that we're no longer a political power in the world. And so that somebody else can take that, you know, that status is yeah. what I'm hypothesizing no, I, or, here. Or not even and, that somebody else can take the status of being the world's largest superpower, although China certainly seems to be moving in that direction. But, but uh, although not so much militarily so far, which is, you know, uh, so far a good thing. Um, but rather to put down democracy movements within their own countries that are using mm -hmm. the United States. You know, uh, when, when Tiananmen Square happened in, uh, I believe it was uh, 89, uh, when Tiananmen, Tiananmen Square happened, those protesters carried a 12-foot-tall papier-mâché version of the Statue of Liberty into Tiananmen Square before they were slaughtered. Mm -hmm. We were the, the beacon to the world. If they can then right. say to the world, if, if the Chinese government can say to the world, if the Russian oligarchs can say to the world, if the Saudi kings and the, and the, and the emir of the United Arab Emirates can say to the world, that democracy thing, it doesn't work. Just look at America. You don't want that kind of a mess, do you? If they can say that, then they ensure their own safety. It's not about necessarily wanting to be Napoleon and conquering the world. I right. think it's, it's about protecting their right. own safety. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a very yep. real possibility. Jeremy, I got to get another call in here. Thank you for the call. Larry in Los Angeles, you have some theories here, Larry? Uh, this is uh, not theory. This is reality. Um, Go for it. Donald Trump has, um, has engineered two insurrections. Well, one of them was in America. That one failed. But he also engineered the insurrection that happened in, in uh, Afghanistan. 
Uh, he, as you have been pointing out, he engineered the fact that the that the Taliban would would uh, gain in numbers by releasing five thousand Taliban fighters. Though those five thousand Taliban fighters then released more Taliban fighters, yep. and also they and they ISIS. just released a couple thousand ISIS fighters. Yes, ISIS K, and then ISIS K killed Americans. Yeah, there's 13. a direct line for what Donald Trump did to the death of 13 Americans in Afghanistan. Yep. And there's no one on the media that's, that's pointing this out. I, have, I watched them this morning. All of them will get right up to the point where they'll say, and the Taliban released ISIS-K, but they won't tell you how they were able to do that. Right. And, right. and the media is basically trying to continuously keep Donald Trump in the loop by not pointing out his, his crime. It's a weird thing, Larry, and I... I it almost seems like it's a deference to power. It's like, why isn't the media pointing out that George W. Bush lied us into Afghanistan in the first place? Um, that, you well, know, that, that it was an absolutely unnecessary war, that the Taliban, you know, after a week of our bombing Afghanistan, the Taliban said, we will arrest bin Laden. Don't worry. Everything's good. And we said, no, we want to have a 20-year war with you guys. Um, why is that oh, not being mind. pointed out? Why is it not being pointed out that Obama knew that the war was lost? That, that you know, by the by the third year, uh, Bush knew that the war was lost, and he continued it going. Eight years, Obama knew the war was lost, kept it going. Trump, for four years, knew the war was lost. I mean, the war was lost, as James Carville said yesterday, it was well, lost more than 15 years ago, and, and and Trump knew that too. And nobody wanted to take responsibility for 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 ending it on their watch. And Trump, you know, dumped this in, in Biden's lap in a way that was guaranteed to cause a crisis. I mean, that was his intention. Mark Esper resigned as defense secretary over this. And it's like a, nobody wants to talk about this. I have a slightly different take on that. And that is um, that, uh, yes, Afghanistan was going to be difficult. But um, when you get a corrupt American uh, uh, president uh, and you... Put that on top of a corrupt uh, Taliban establishment in, in Afghanistan. Not Taliban, but the Afghanistan uh, administration was yeah. also corrupt. Yeah, the There's Ghani no government. way that's going to come out well. Yeah. Number one, and and number two, see, even with the corruption in Afghanistan, there was no reason that the Afghan government would fall, except that Donald Trump set it up to fall. Yep. That's oh, he he cut, he cut the Ghani government out of the out of the loop and and negotiated directly with the Taliban leader that he had ordered released from prison. Who was the co-founder of the damn Taliban? Yes. He had to get somebody a stature in order to surrender to him. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, he stage let crap. him out of prison so he could surrender to him. Exactly right, stage Larry. Crap. Larry, That's thank you. That's what he's you. all about. Just yep. stage crap. There you go. Well, we'll be back with more of your thoughts and mine on uh, salting the earth. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. And perhaps the bigger question that I haven't even raised, but I'll toss it out there, is how do you unsalt the earth? How do we undo the damage that Donald Trump has done? Is it even possible? Carl in Seattle. Hey, Carl, thanks for listening to KBCS. What's up? Thanks, Tom. I have a comment about uh, something that happened the other day and um you're a you're my age you know back in the vietnam era we protested the war we even took over the principal's office for whatever reason we just wanted to protest and and we were just angry and stuff in fact on the the bus to high school we i argued all the time with we should be there or not and i, I finally i ended up getting the pentagon papers on the, in the paper i start reading it off and they didn't want to hear it Mm-hmm. You know, and but that was a long time ago. That was fifty years ago. We w- took our guys, people out of uh, Saigon. It was only Americans, and they, they we took no Vietnamese. Eight hundred thousand ended up dying because they had to go to Cambodia. They took on boats. They did this, and we, there was a big loss of life. Compare that to today. Biden gets stops the war correctly. He had to do it. Twenty years is enough. And then he brings 125,000 Afghans in, flies them all in, doing the right thing. And now McCarthy and these guys want to impeach him. I think right. they didn't even, there was no conversation about that when Ford announced withdrawal. Yeah. This just tells you how long and how hurtful this party has gotten from your dad's party and Eisenhower's party, which I remember. Mm-hmm. And now we got 
Trump and and the and the nuts cases running the show. I think that the contrast is amazing, but I don't think people even remember that. Yeah. I think people lost their history. They, they're too busy doing their lives. Don't care. You know, they got their nice car and house and vacations and stuff. And I think we've just lost our ways because I don't think history and I mean, even current affairs in high school. I remember that was one of my favorite classes. We had a, so we, there was an election going on. We had a guy we supported. We debated and all that. Long time, it's a long time ago now. People have forgotten. Most yeah. of these people I see on the news, on the TV, they're all young guys. They were not. They weren't there. I remember distinctly of Vietnam War, every inch of it. You know. Yeah. Oh I, hey, I dodged the draft. You know. I got kicked out of high school dodge. for publishing an anti-war newspaper that we were distributing on a high school property. <laughs> and you know, the, you the kicked out of high school part made it to to the Wikipedia page, but the for publishing an anti-war newspaper somehow didn't make it to the Wikipedia page. And, uh, and you can't edit your own Wikipedia page, so, you know, which is rather frustrating. But in any case, yeah, I remember those times. I remember. Yeah. And there were a hell of a lot of us who were standing up and speaking out. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I'm blithering here, Carl, but it's, uh, they're, they're, we didn't learn the lesson of Vietnam. Lyndon Johnson did lie us into a war. You can't occupy countries over the long term. Um, George Bush yeah. lied us into a war. You know, President Polk lied us into the Spanish-American or into the uh, Mexican-American war. He, you know, he said that we were under attack from Mexico. I mean, this is this is not the first time this has happened. And you would think that Americans would eventually figure out that maybe Congress should exercise war powers, actual declarations of war, and they should do it based on evidence that has been at least vetted. You just look at America. Is, is it worked for us? We lost Vietnam. We lost um, Afghanistan. Okay. Tie, uh, a Korean War was a tie. Why do we keep doing this to ourselves? And yeah. it's really sad. It oh, makes me sad. And people are just ignoring it. I tell, text my friends, no response, no big deal. As well, it is to me. Yeah. But yeah, I'm with you. Carl, thank you for the call. Good talking to you. Our book today for the Tom Hartman Book Club is The Age of Eisenhower, America and the World of the 1950s by William I. Hitchcock. This is from chapter 19, page 475, about three quarters of the way through the book. The press corps, bored to tears by the lack of drama in Republican ranks, worked hard to breathe life into the candidacies of New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller and Arizona Senator Barry Goldwater, who might, they earnestly hope, challenge Nixon for the GOP nomination from the left and the right. The Washington Post editorial page noted that both parties inclined toward moderate nominees like Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, and Nixon, but cautioned that, quote, an excess of moderation can yield a pudding devoid of flavor or shape, end quote, and hoped Goldwater would add a dash of, quote, pepper to the otherwise bland old party's Chicago solemnities, end quote. Indeed, old guard supporters of the dear departed Bob Taft now had a new champion in the ruggedly handsome conservative from the desert west. It was not to be. Goldwater did not seek the nomination and backed Nixon. Rockefeller, whom most veteran Republicans distrusted for his ideological elasticity and his vanity, pressured Nixon to adopt a number of Kennedy-like platform planks on issues such as defense spending, civil rights, health insurance, and housing. Nixon, terrified that a Rockefeller boomlet might snatch away his long-sought prize, caved into these demands before meeting with Rocky in New York on July 22nd three days before the convention opened. Rockefeller, in turn, threw his support to Nixon in a feeble gesture of party unity. In extracting concessions from Nixon on the GOP platform, though, Rockefeller managed to weaken Nixon's case that he and he alone had the toughness to confront Khrushchev on the world stage. The real challenge Nixon faced in taking the leadership of the Republican Party did not come from Goldwater or Rockefeller. It came from Eisenhower. Of course, Ike supported Nixon's presidential bid since Nixon offered the best hope of extending the Eisenhower legacy. But the distance between those two men, which had always been great, never seemed wider than in 1960. Eisenhower had become the world's most respected, most recognized, and most liked man. For all of his apparent political weaknesses and occasional lapses in his mishandling of the U-2 affair, he occupied an unassailable place in the pantheon of great figures of his time. His war service alone would have 
placed him on history's pedestal, but he followed that with eight years of dignified leadership of a country whose global power had reached unprecedented dimensions. When Eisenhower arrived in Chicago on July 26 to address the Republican convention, over one million Chicagoans lined the streets along his route to the Sheraton Blackstone Hotel. Shouts of joy rang through the miles of well-wishers. We like Ike signs dotted the scene along with hand-painted expressions of thanks to the old warrior. Confetti so dense that it stuck to Ike's moist and beaming face poured from the rooftops. Banners and flags draped every storefront and lampposts in a blaze of red, white, and blue. It was Ike the crowd wanted. A loudspeaker in a truck following the motorcade blared out a popular tune by the Four Knights. I love the sunshine of your smile. The president, visibly moved, told reporters outside the hotel, it's one of the finest crowds I've ever seen. On Tuesday evening, Senator Dirksen, a famously orotund speaker in a profession known for producing magnificent windbags, came to the podium in the amphitheater to introduce the president. Few recalled that eight years earlier, Dirksen had nominated Senator Taft. Anyhow, the book is The Age of Eisenhower by Hitchcock. Vincent in Binghamton, New York. Hey, Vincent, what's on your mind? Hey, hey, Tom, before you talked about, uh, you know, what are we going to do with that senator, Republican senator, they're down there talking, they're, they're, they're same old dribble. I had said I wish that Joe Biden, and I'm sure he knows this, but I, I need to say it, I hope he realizes that our media has changed since he's been gone. Even that short period, four, four years, our media has changed. And I wish he would borrow something from the past. And the way James Carville was with um, Clinton. You need a guy out there that can get on these Meet the Press shows on Sunday and start giving this information, as Joe Madison says, where the goats can get it. Yeah. And you need to have somebody that will attack MSNBC, CNN and Fox and, and all these places when they start saying about, well, you know, Donald Trump is still there and, uh, you know, he has his base. And you need somebody to say, what base? Where are these people going to go? Rand Paul, Lindsey Graham, Ben Carson? These people have no place to go. The Republican Party has nothing to offer them. This is the time where Democrats have to get rid of this bipartisanship mentality. I'm sorry, guys. This is what we have to do. Yeah. We have to take it all. It is not the president. The most the president can do is eight years. We've got to go to the Congress. They are the ones that are doing it. These are the, 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 the people that have all these laws. And I'll give you a perfect example. I see, I just read in Forbes magazine, Republican senators have now demanded there be a full count of U.S. military equipment left in Afghanistan. They are humiliated. It's, it's a high-tech military equipment paid for U.S. taxpayers has fallen in the hands of Taliban and terrorist allies and lawmakers, okay. securing United States assets and blah, blah, blah. My question is this, you senators, you Republican senators, didn't you guys sign the check in the budget? Well, and not only that, you know, where were you when Trump was closing 10 U.S. Air Force bases and leaving all this stuff behind? Yeah, where were you guys? You guys signed the check every year the, the Pentagon comes up. Oh, we got a helicopter that kind of skips. Oh, here you go. Here's $140 trillion, and yeah. they go on off, and yeah. we say nothing about it. And now you want to worry about some of this equipment's been there for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. For the last four years, where have you been, MSNBC and CBS and Fox? We have no idea. I didn't know we had foreign correspondents anymore. You guys never covered it. You were listening to Donald Trump Review, which yeah. has had bad reviews. This is where you've been. No, I, I, I get it, Vincent, and you said it very, very well. And, uh, and, and, I, I, and I do hope that the Biden administration can find, you know, a plain-speaking, outspoken James Carville type who can be, uh, you know, part of the face of the administration. Um, Jen Psaki is doing a great job, by the way, in the, in, but this is a whole different thing. They, they basically need a, a surrogate. And, and you know, I'm, I'm guessing one will eventually emerge. Gary in East Lansing. Hey, Gary, what's up? Hi. Um, I just have to say that I believe if Trump was still in office and, and considering the way the Republicans uh, don't, don't want to let any Afghans in the country, that he would have just withdrawn all the troops and left everyone. So the, all the debate about how many people are left behind is, is not even really a true That was discussion. the deal he cut, Gary, was that on, on April 30th, we were gone, period. 
full stop. Right. And and we and there were no preconditions. We were not going to get our equipment out of there. We were, you know, it's just like we're just leaving. And Taliban, it's all yours. And and again, like I said, he cut he cut the the Ghani government out of the negotiations. Now I'm not saying that we should have stayed in there longer, but. If Donald Trump was interested in, in, in protecting American interests, he would have started moving equipment out while he was still president. He would have started moving you know, translators and people who are affiliated with us, particularly in the hinterlands, while he was still president. Instead, he avoided doing any of that. He was salting the earth. He was trying to create chaos for Joe Biden. And now, and as you point the, out, none of the news outlets are saying it. Sorry, none of the news outlets are saying anything about it. Right. Yeah, well, and this is the, the this just like bizarre deference to to presidents. It's like somehow we just don't want to point out that our presidents, you know, may have feet of clay, uh, or may have even you know lied or even made mistakes. You know, uh, Gary, thank you. Oh my! You're listening to Tom Hartman. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Earl in Hyde Park, Illinois. Hey, Earl, thanks for watching us on Free Speech. What's on your mind today? Oh, not a problem. I enjoy watching your program. Thank you. I uh, quickly want to piggyback on something you and your previous caller where we're talking about uh, as far as combating the disinformation and how we get our changes made that we need to have made in our society and i told our screener that uh number one we need to wear out our shoe leather number two we have to be bogartish but not uh uh yelling at one another because when you start yelling at one another you're not getting your information through it's just everybody retreats to their corner and it's just a yelling match and uh we have to be industrious like the grasshopper and the ant. Uh, we have to try to outwork them. I doubt if we can outspend them as far as generating money and capital and another such to run programs and uh, uh, get our people elected, but we have to outwork them. We have to, uh, you know, try to gain control of the forum when you're with your friends and try not to yell and scream at one another. Well, you have to be forceful because one of the tactics that, that they use is yelling and screaming and preventing you from trying to make your uh, point. Yeah. And so it's very effective if you let them, but, you know, you can't not necessarily stoop to their level, but work hard to get your opinions in and don't let them haul the, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the, the talking points or whatever. Speak the truth. Yeah, I'm with you. Earl, thank you. Very well said. Saul in Seattle. Hey, Saul, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I just wanted to call. It seems to me these days a lot of people seem to have forgotten about the American Madison Grant, who greatly inspired Hitler with one of his books, where he was the guy who came up with the whole blonde hair, blue eye theory. I don't know about that, Saul. Yeah, so he, it was one of, during the time in the 1920s of American scientific is, racism, yeah, the, the, this guy actually turns out to be a friend of Theodore Roosevelt and mm -hmm. Herbert Hoover's, right. and he wrote a book that actually Hitler read, 
It was one of the first pieces of propaganda that was translated from English into German. Was this and handed this was, out? This was, uh, you know, was this guy at the head of the eugenics movement here in the United States? I mean, that's that's really where Hitler yeah. got the whole idea for the final solution. Yeah, and it's it's weird because not a lot of people even know that this guy exists, and he yeah. was like one of the originators of all of these ideas. And you see these ideas being repeated in America right now. What was the title of and, his book, Saul? Uh, it was the passing of the, the passing great, of the great race. race. It was written, written in 1916. 1916, the passing. Fascinating. You know the things I learn. I, you know, from the people who listen to this program. Saul, thank you for that. Um, of course. That that uh, I'm. I don't know how I missed that. I mean, that's that's. Yeah. So he also helped co-found the Redwood League, and he helped fund the Bronx Zoo. Huh. So he was a wealthy guy and and uh, and, and, a and, and, a, and an adherent to scientific racism. Incredible. Yeah, and he did laws about immigration restriction and anti-miscegenation, race mixing, and whatnot too. Right. Yeah, which is not surprising. You know, it was part of the whole thing. So thank you, yeah. thank you for that. Uh, and uh, yeah. I've got some research to do now. I want to thank Joe Biden. I don't think enough of us are saying this out loud. I don't think enough of us are saying this clearly enough. It's easy to start a war, relatively speaking. Even a little war. I mean, you know, Reagan had his little war with Grenada. Bush the first had his little war with Iraq. Uh, it's easy to start a war. It's damn hard to end a war. Jerry Ford ended Vietnam. And now Joe Biden has entered Afghanistan, and he deserves credit for that. And I realize, you know, Trump did everything he could. It was by my earlier rant about how he tried to salt the ground, how he tried to make it an absolute cluster, a, a total screwed up mess for Biden. Donald Trump did his best. He tried so hard to screw things up in Afghanistan that his defense secretary, who was a hardcore right winger, Mark Esper, good Republican, quit his job. And when Joe Biden came into office, there were a bunch of people, a bunch of dead-enders in the State Department and in the Pentagon who were saying, you know, that was Trump. He tried to end the war. He promised he would end the war. He campaigned against the war. So let's just, uh, let's just ignore that and go back to having a war. Let's go another 20 years. And Biden, whose son had served in Afghanistan, said no. This war is over. Now, he hasn't come out and said what I've said and, and others are saying fairly clearly, which is that, you know, if this war was lost, it was lost the day it was declared. I mean, it was never declared by Congress, but it was lost when George W. Bush started bombing Afghanistan. Or you could argue it was lost three weeks later when the Afghan government fell and George W. Bush decided to start maintaining a long-term occupation of Afghanistan, which would then shovel hundreds of billions of dollars into his vice president's company, Halliburton. Or you could argue that the, the war was lost in, November, in December of 2001 when the Taliban tried to negotiate a surrender with the Bush administration and Donald Rumsfeld said no. But the war was lost from the beginning. And George W. Bush was president for eight years of that war and did nothing to end it. Barack Obama was president for eight years of that war and did nothing to end it, to the best of my knowledge. Donald Trump was president for four years of that war and did nothing constructive to end it. He tried to sabotage the guy who followed him. But he could have he ended it three or four years earlier if he really believed that that was what was right. And Joe Biden stood up and said, I'm going to end this war. Enough Americans have died. Enough Afghans have died. Enough. It's not something that we can win. We're wasting lives and blood and treasure. And I just, I think it's important that somebody, particularly somebody who's characterized as the far left, as I often am, I, which, you know, I think I'm kind of the far middle, but whatever comes out and says it and just says it out loud. Thank you, Joe Biden. Thank you, President Biden. 
He's getting some serious flack for this, but that will pass. And I think the majority of Americans are very grateful. I just wanted to say that. Barry in Chicago. Hey, Barry, what's up? Hey, Tom. I want to say that, of course, I agree with you wholeheartedly uh, that it was time to leave Afghanistan and Biden did that, which was surprising to me, but it's great that he did it and he deserves to be commended for that. But I think sometimes perhaps you're losing a bit of critical thinking here in the want to defend Joe Biden in that, you know, his strategy for leaving. I mean, yeah, there's chaos when you end a war, quote unquote. You can say that war is chaos in general. But there were Democrats warning him for months about the proper exit strategy and trying to appeal to him. And there's correspondence that they sent him and he didn't listen. I know. And so I think actually the story gets a little more nuanced than that. But yes, there were things that could have been done months earlier, particularly getting out some of our allies from the farther regions of Afghanistan. You know, Barry, I think at a certain point you have to say, you know, he did the best he could with what he had. I can't believe that Joe Biden, or, or frankly, even Donald Trump, would, well, God only knows with Trump, but would sit around and say, you know, I'm going to screw up the end of this war. And he's got over 100,000 people out of there, you know, which is pretty good. Barry, I get it. You want to be upset with him. Go for it. But I'm not going to be. James in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, James, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thanks. I want to thank you for all the years that you've been so astute and kept us all in truth. And and, uh, just thank you very much, Dr. Hartman. I just uh, really appreciate you. Thank you, James. I get more uh, out of it than I put into it. (laughs) Maybe so, but uh, you're great. um, I've asked a a question of... uh, a lot of people over the years uh, just have never been able to understand the Senate. Uh, and, and you know, we just had a lecture here on quantum physics, so that was uh, really timely. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm just trying to do the math, sir. I don't understand how these people can hold progress hostage forever like they've always done. The math doesn't work out. And I've had people in other countries make fun of our government structure whenever it's brought up. And... and uh, it just doesn't work out, does it? We've got New York State's got two votes. South Dakota's got two votes. California's got two votes. North Dakota's got two votes. These people are different in numbers and in thinking. But explain it to me, Tom. How did this? How did we get this? Well, it was in part the transition from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution. Um, when in other we, words, ancient stuff. Yeah, it really is. It's it's legacy stuff. Uh, we we're, had we're thir- antiquated. We had thirteen colonies that all had very very different histories. You know, Pennsylvania was largely started by the Penn family that were on. You know, and they were kind of on uh, at one point on a religious tear. Massachusetts had been at, at you know in the sixteen hundreds. Massachusetts and New Hampshire had been taken over by the Puritans. Um, they were having wars with the Quakers. Um, you had Virginia, which was, uh, you know, sort of the, the the hotbed of what you might today call democratic, small d democratic or small r Republican thinking, um, and yet it was a slave state, but it was the most anti-slavery of the of the slave states. You had, you know, people like Patrick Henry and Thomas Jefferson speaking out against slavery while they were holding slaves, which was totally bizarre. Then you had Georgia, South Carolina, which were all in on slavery and, you know, uh, John C. Calhoun of of, uh, South Carolina calling it a positive good in the U.S. Senate. And so, uh, you know, all these all these different states had different histories, had different backgrounds, had different interests. Um, And uh, when under the Articles of Confederation, you know, when we when we won the Revolutionary War in 1783, um, we created basically a trade agreement among these 13 colonies. And uh, but that was all it was. You know, the Articles of Confederation did not really create a federal government. There were three presidents who preceded George Washington, but we don't acknowledge any of them because there was really no federal government. It was just a giant trade deal. And and it wasn't working. And it was putting all, you know, the, the, the future at risk. And so the whole idea of the Constitution was to pull those 13 colonies together into one country. But they still had these highly discrete identities, even local dialects, even in some cases, you know, non-English languages that were widely spoken. Um, you know, in, in Louisiana, Creole, for example, although that wasn't part of the original 13. And so the consequence of this was that, you know, they, they did the House by 
population and they did the Senate by state because they these states were demanding that their integrity be preserved. Um, we're way past that now, James, and I really think that either we need to break California into three states, uh, break uh, New York, Texas, and Florida into two states each, or add a couple of, you know, add Puerto Rico and add Washington, D.C. we got to do something, because right now Republicans in the Senate represent 40 million fewer people than do Democrats in the Senate, yet they veto everything. James, i got to run. Gar in Decatur, Georgia. Hey, Gar, what's on your mind? Uh, how you doing, Tom? Good. Uh, quickly, uh, have you ever heard of uh, Smedley Butler? I have, yeah. He's the guy that the... Uh, war the, is the, a racket. Yeah, the right-wingers tried to hire him to, to kidnap my thing uh, is, Roosevelt. My thing is, war is not in the 30s. I mean, it's not a end of a novel or it's not an end of a book. It's in the war. And Smedley Butler, you know he foiled an attempt to assassinate FDR. Yeah. He did. They were once uh, attempted. And and he was the most decorated Marine general in the history of the United States at the time. Yep. He said, war is a racket. Yep. And and you can go online and check out his book if if anybody's interested. Oh, he starts right out in that book by saying, you know, I I was the guy who was there on behalf of the big corporations and the fat cats, you know, basically robbing, raping, and plundering other countries. It's just, it's brilliant. It's an absolutely brilliant book, Gar. Gar, thank you. Thanks for invoking Smedley Butler. I love it. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us to participate, thus the demos in democracy. That's Greek for person, I'm pretty sure, people. That's us, right? So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Have a great afternoon. Be kind to yourself and those around you, okay? Let's all practice doing a good deed today. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 